Welcome to Restored for Life with Pastor Ben Harris, the senior pastor at Restored Community Church, where God's perfect word restores imperfect people. Here's today's message from Pastor Ben. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Now, I don't have to tell you how God created our planet with just the perfect amount of sun and light, the sun to warm us and the light that makes crops grow, which feed the entire world, and the moon, which reflects the glory of the sun at night. It's kind of like a a night light. At this time, God sends a form of extended twilight upon the world. This was prophesied over 2,000 years before this event will take place place, Joel, in in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, predicted this moment when he wrote this. He, He wrote, blow the trumpet of Zion and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness." And what an ominous day that will be. Verse 13, and I looked and I heard an angel. Now some translate this this word angel to be eagle. Uh, I don't think it's either or, I think it's both. Do you remember the living creature that that stands next to the throne? Uh, The angel with the face of an eagle flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who were about to sound. If earth thought that they were going to get a break here, they don't. And this angel announces, whoa, 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 there's three more trumpets coming. If Jesus hasn't drawn all humanity's attention towards heaven at this point, this flying announcer will do the trick. The three woes here refer to the remaining three trumpets yet to be blown. The phrase inhabitants of the earth or earth dwellers, depending on your translation of Bible, is found 12 times in this book and always refers to those who live for the earth. Not living in the earth or on the earth. It's those who are living for the earth and are in the world not of the world. These are, these are the unsaved. These are the unbelievers. These are the ones that reject God and don't want anything to do with him. This word does not, listen, it does not include God's redeemed tribulation saints that we were introduced to last week. They, the tribulation saints, are under the protection of the Almighty God. You may remember that God's, the Holy Spirit, seals On their forehead, he places a seal on them. Listen, they miss the rapture, but many will come to Christ during the tribulation. They get a seal on their forehead. It's the name of God. And they are protected from all of this stuff going on around them. We've seen the effects of the first four trumpets. Now things are about to get mind-blowingly worse. It, it, It just keeps getting worse and worse. As I turn the pages of my Bible at home, I go, wow, man. Let's look at the fifth trumpet now. Earth's inhabitants are struck. Earth's inhabitants are struck. We've seen seas, grass, rivers, all this. But now, 
Jesus turns his wrath upon the inhabitants. Chapter 9 now. Chapter 9. Verse 1, then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit. This verse informs us that this person who the key is given to is not a literal star, as it uses the pronoun him. To him was given the keys. The word fallen here refers to a previous fall in the past. Scripture doesn't clearly identify this person, but I'm guessing it's Satan who was referred to as the bright morning star before his disobedient fall when he was cast out of heaven and down to earth. The bottomless pit here, some uh, translations use a great abyss, is likely Hades or the place of the dead, Uh, physically and spiritually. These are where the people who have rejected Christ's offer of salvation have died. They go to Hades. They go into this holding place until they'll, they'll be judged one day before Jesus Christ. They will stand before him. In effect, by rejecting his offer of grace and mercy, they've, they've chosen to be judged by their own merit where one sin is guilty. So this is a place of the dead, Hades. Verse 2, and he opened the bottomless pit and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth. And to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. The sealed ones are the tribulation saints, so these creatures can't harm the tribulation saints. They have the seal. They're only allowed to harm those that have rejected Christ. Verse 5, and they were not given authority to kill them, the rebellious ones but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. Now, I've never been struck by a scorpion. I've had some close calls, uh, sticking my foot foot in a boot that when I was out in the desert and a a scorpion had had crawled into it one night. Uh, It didn't sting me. But I know a person that got uh, stung by a scorpion, and, and he described it as an extreme burning sensation that went up from, he got struck in, in the uh, lower part of his leg, and it became so painful, he said, I mean, it is just sheer pain coming out of that wound, and, and the poison is, is, runs up the leg, and it burns. It's like this burning, painful thing that goes through your leg. It's, it's a terrible thing to experience. Verse 6, in those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, and death will flee from them. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their foreheads were crowns of something like gold, John describes it, and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron, and 
the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. Now, I don't know if these are literally locusts that God creates like this, and they're only, you know, this big, uh, or if these are, uh, you know, a whole nother situation. To me, this sounds like a demon-possessed, um, something demonic coming out of this pit. Interesting to know that demons are always wanting to possess God's creation. So in the Bible, we see demons coming into people, right? They want to they possess people, the human body. And we read about some of these demons in Scripture. But this time, God says, uh-uh. This time, you're going to possess a bug. And, uh, and he doesn't give them the right to go into uh, a person's body. He uses this, um, this locust-like creature with a scorpion tail, um, and, and they sound like an army marching with horses. What a terrifying event this will be. You can hear them coming from a long way off, but there's nothing you can do about it. What a terrible time to be on planet Earth. What a great time to be in heaven. The description of this locust-like army is, is like something Stephen King, like out of a Stephen King novel, horror movie. They're likely demons who, who God has, has sent into bugs, and, and, and they can only affect those that have rejected Christ as their Savior. Verse 11, and they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in Greek, he has the name Apollyon. Now, Abaddon translates as destruction. Apollyon uh, translates as destroyer. So it, 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 to me, this has to be Satan who's in charge of this army. Uh, Jesus describes in John 10.10, 10, uh, he describes Satan as he who comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. Apollyon, destroyer. Verse 12, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. The sixth trumpet. Are you ready for the sixth trumpet? Take a deep breath. One woe is past. Behold, there are two more coming after these things. The sixth trumpet is one-third of humanity is now struck. A third of humanity is struck. Verse 13. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. Now remember, this is the altar uh, where incense is mingled with the prayers of the saints and is offered up to God and the prayers play a role of his judgment on planet Earth. These four horns that are on the four corners of this burning altar, uh, the horns represent ultimate power. God has ultimate power over everything and everyone. All his creation bows to our Father. Verse 14, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who were bound at the great river Euphrates. These four angels are apparently evil angels, 
uh, because God wouldn't have to bound one of his own angels or four of his own angels. These must be demonic, satanic angels that are bound, even in, as I speak here, somewhere near the river Euphrates to be called upon in this moment. The Euphrates River is, is tied to many infamous biblical events early in the history of mankind. Uh, the river is mentioned as one of the four rivers that lead out of the Garden of Eden where the fall occurred. It's near where uh, the first homicide took place, Cain and Abel. The Euphrates is right there where the people revolted against God at the Tower of Babel. And at the end of human history, we learn that there are four bound-up angel demons that are released to terrorize the world. Verse 15, so the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. Keep in mind that we've already seen a quarter of the earth's population killed, wiped out, and including this six angels trumpet judgment, now well over half of the world's population is dead. Verse 16, now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. This demonic army, larger than anything human history has ever seen, no, no country, no, no allied group of countries has ever fielded an army, more than 85 million. During World War II, I checked this out in, the, in history books, in World War II, if you took the armies from both sides of the war, and you put them all together, they numbered somewhere around 83 to 85 million. This is an army of 200 million strong, and it's led by these demonic angels. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision, those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red, hyacinth blue, and sulfur yellow. And the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths came smoke, or fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. By the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths, for their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents having heads, and with them they do harm. Now, I've read a lot of books on this, and, you know, there's a lot of opinions out there. I'm just giving you what the Word of God says. Is it possible that John could be describing a tank? Could it be he's trying to describe, you know, what a helicopter, attack helicopter looks like or something, or the, all these devices that we have now to, to wage war? It absolutely could be true. Absolutely. Or is he literally, you know, are these guys literally on horses? I, I wish I could answer that. All I know is it's an awesome sight to see when all of this is let loose upon the world. So let's take another deep breath here and remind ourselves that we're watching this like John is watching this from heaven. You know, we've already been pulled up to heaven in the rapture. John was a picture of the rapture when Jesus pulls him up and says, come up here. John goes up to heaven. He gets to view all of this. He gets to be part of this worship service that takes place. And then he gets to go over and see all of this happen on earth. 
Between the sixth and seventh trumpet judgments, there is a pause. Some important side stories that include some very interesting side notes and drama, mainly through testimonies, are, are now given. There are testimonies from angels. There are testimonies from two homicide victims. There are testimonies from two resurrection people. And the testimony of the elders will be given. But as we close today's service, there's still one more interesting side note to all of this. And number three, we see the defiant masses. The defiant masses. You know, people tell me that, that aren't saved and that I witnessed to over my life. Um, they have told me, you know, I, I can't believe you worship this God who sends people to hell and is so cruel. And, and I stop them right there and say, wait, wait a minute. God doesn't send anyone to hell. People choose to reject him, and the only other option is hell. I agree with that statement. But it's not God's desire that anyone should perish, but that all should have eternal life, Scripture tells us. That's his desire. He would, his desire is that every man, woman, and child would come to heaven with him, would surrender their life, and be part of the forever family. But he has given them a choice to make, free will. And they exercise it here on the pages of this very difficult book to read sometimes. But surely the four billion people with four billion people wiped out, flying demon locusts with teeth like lions and tails like scorpions, asteroids rocketing from the sky into the seas and the rivers, an army of killer demons 200 million strong, and so on and so forth, what's left of mankind are surely ready to surrender to Jesus Christ at this point. I mean, that's what I want to read on the pages. That finally, they've said, okay, enough. We surrender our lives to you, Lord Jesus. You are the master. I wish I could read that. But look down at verse 20. But the rest of mankind, those four billion people that are left on planet Earth, Four out of eight billion. But the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands that they should not worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders or their sorceries. Sorceries also means drugs. Or their sexual immorality or their thefts. In essence, God is saying, I created you. I created this world. And then you turn around and want to worship that stick? You want to worship something made from iron or brass or gold? I made those things. Why are you worshiping those? You know, God's the only one worthy of our worship and praise. He's the only one. He is to be worshiped, and he alone. We have seen God do everything and anything to break the will of mankind in order to save these defiant holdouts, but sadly, they will not have him as their Lord. Listen, they didn't want him when the gift was free and grace was free, and now they don't want him either. 
and the die is cast for them. Most don't want Jesus in this life, and they won't want him at the end of days either. They didn't want him or his salvation that was extended during the prolonged period of grace and mercy, and they don't want Jesus during this time before final judgment arrives, sealing their eternity. What a rebellious people. What a patient God. And while this seems mean of God to do this, what God is trying to do is affect and turn their hearts towards him. Because while this is a temporary moment in history, eternity's forever. It's for all, all the marbles. And God pulls out all the stops right at the end. Some will be saved. These tribulation saints will meet them in heaven. What a, what a resistant creation. What a gracious God we have. What a story of human pride, arrogance, and sin. What a testimony of love, sacrifice, and mercy. Now, this is uncomfortable to read and to process, but if it causes us to trust that God is in control, that time is running out for the lost, and that we must go outside of our comfort zones if we're going to get into the end zone of life, then give us this holy comfort, Lord that we might have the courage and audacity to share Christ with the lost around us before it's too late for them. We've all been given an opportunity to play a role here. Do you understand that God could have used angels to spread the gospel and salvation on planet Earth? He could have done that, but he didn't. He chose you and he chose me to carry the good news to people. It's the way it's always happened. From Jesus' death moving forward, Disciples have already always gotten discipled first. They've, they've been saved. Go make disciples. They've been baptized. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then number three, teach them everything that I've taught you, Jesus said. That, we're doing all three of those here. We're going out. We're telling people about Jesus. You have an opportunity right now. I mean, you can't hit a home run if you won't swing the bat. Swing the bat on this one. Swing for the fence and watch what God does. He says, Teach them everything I've taught you. Well, what is that? That's the, that's the picture of discipleship. Here at our church, you can be discipled. You, you, can, you can do it one-on-one -on -one or one-on-two, and, and you can go be discipled. After you come, become a Christian, that's, that's vital for every one of us. What we do is we take 13 weeks. You meet over coffee. You meet wherever you want. You meet down by the river. Um, and then we take 13 weeks to teach the person the 13 things that Jesus Christ taught his disciples. Go, baptize, and teach. Why are we creating this building out, out front? So that we can send y'all out and that you can bring people back to get trained and taught so that we can baptize, so that we can be the church. That's the reason we're doing what we're doing. You know, sometimes we get so comfortable and sometimes we get, you know, taken off course a little bit by shiny objects that look really cool. Well, Sir Francis Drake prepared to set sail in search of the new world. And right as he was leaving the harbor before they weighed anchor, he prayed the following prayer out loud in front of his crew as he stood on the deck. And I want to close my sermon with it too. Let me read it to you. 
Disturb us, Lord, when we are too well pleased with ourselves, when our dreams have become true because we have dreamed too little, when we arrive safely because we sailed too close to the shore. Disturb us, Lord, when with the abundance of things we possess, we have lost our thirst for the waters of life. Having fallen in love with life, we have ceased to dream of eternity. And in our efforts to build a new earth, we have allowed our vision of the new heaven to dim. Disturb us, Lord, to dare more boldly, to venture on wider seas where storms will show your mastery, where losing sight of land, we shall find the stars. We ask you, to push back the horizons of our hopes and to push into the future in strength, courage, hope, and love. Sir Francis Drake had it right. It's time to get out of our comfort zone and to get into the God zone. Time is ticking down. It's ticking away. And you, are not, you and I are about to go face to face with Jesus Christ. I want to have, have done what he told me to do. I want him to come back, finding me working when he gets here. And I know you do too. So be about your father's business. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit restoredcommunitychurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.